All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and uh, get us started here. Uh, let me say a word of prayer, and uh, if you're coming in still, feel free. There's a, everyone sat at all the tables except for one, so all the, all the uh, late folks, you get the, the empty table in the back. But um, let me pray for us. God, we love you. We are grateful for the chance to be gathering together as, as men from Emmaus Church, Lord, to uh, fix our eyes upon you and your word, Lord. Your word is how we know you. Your word is uh, your gift to us that we might grow and be shaped into, into men that are um, looking like you. So I, I pray that as we dive into it, as we invest ourselves into the study of, of Genesis over the next 10 weeks, God, I pray that you would uh, little by little shape us into men um, who, who are holier, who, who are more deeply sanctified, who have grown in, in maturity, who are bearing fruit uh, to the glory of, of your name alone, Lord. I, I pray that we'd see those transformations as they slowly take place. Um, I pray that you would shape us into into godly men that can be faithful leaders in our in our homes, in our communities, in our church. Um, we need you, Lord. We need your work in us if, if that uh, reality is going to take place. So um, would you give us now, this morning, Lord, as, as we sort of dive into introduction, would you give us motivation? Would you give us um, excitement? Would you give us a, a sense of uh, calling to the work that lies ahead that we might do it faithfully uh, in order to enjoy the fruits that will come as a result. So guide us, lead us, um, we will follow. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray all these things. Amen. Well, welcome to Men of the Word. Uh, we are so excited that you're here, thankful that you chose to sign up. Uh, this is uh, one of my favorite things that we do at Emmaus, uh, th this men's Bible study environment, uh, really because of the potential that's represented in this room right now. Um, you know, the potential for life transformation, not just in each of you individually, but in your families, in our church, uh, where, where men thrive, families thrive, where, where men thrive, churches thrive, where men thrive in, in spiritual growth, uh, communities thrive. This is how God designed it. And so I get very excited every time we uh, come together to launch another semester uh, about what God might do in us and, and uh, as a result in the, the you know, ripple effects through us in the months to come. Uh, we're kicking off our 12th semester of, of Men of the Word, so uh, finishing up six years. Crazy that uh, we've gone through that, and, and uh, this fall we're, we're beginning what will be a 20-week study of the book of Genesis. Uh, this is our, our largest crowd ever. We have 80 men, 81 actually. Somebody signed up late last night, so 81 men uh, registered for uh, this study, which uh, I, I think you guys are just really excited about Genesis or something. Uh, so awesome. Glad you're here. Uh, we're we're going to do 10 weeks this fall. So this is week one. You have nine more Wednesdays, all consecutive uh, we'll conclude right there before Thanksgiving. Uh, we will not meet the Wednesday of Thanksgiving. That's when it'll be over. Um, and we'll cover chapters 1 through 11 this fall. So uh, there's 50 chapters in Genesis. We're not going all the way to 25. We're just covering the first 11. Uh, but don't worry, there's plenty to cover. Uh, we, have, we have a ton of ground to get through in the next 10 weeks. But uh, we'll take a, a break for Christmas and, and for January. And then beginning in February, we'll give you those dates as we get closer. If you'd like, there's no pressure. You've only signed up for this semester uh, but we'll kick off Genesis part two, which will be a study of, of Genesis 12 all the way to 50. Uh, if, if you've not studied Genesis before, the dividing line there between 11 and 12, uh, this, this chapter is, is uh, uh, part one is all creation and uh, Adam and Eve, the fall, uh, the story of Noah and the flood, Cain and Abel's in there. Uh, we get to the Tower of Babel as well. Everything sort of 
early, early history of, of the world, of human uh, mankind. Um, and then in chapter 12, in the midst of all that sin that we're going to watch break forth in the first 11 chapters of, Ge- of Genesis, God begins to work a plan of redemption. And that starts in chapter 12 with him calling out Abraham, his name's Abram at that time, out of uh, his own country, and, and he calls him to a new land and, and says, I'm going to make of you a great people. They're, they're the story of the Israelites. Abraham is the, the, the patriarch, the the main patriarch, and um, uh, we're going to watch that story play out. Genesis concludes with the story of Joseph there at the end. Uh, you're probably familiar with that story. So, so that'll all be in the spring. Um, Abraham leading up to, to Joseph will be then, but uh, got lots of good stuff to look at uh, uh, this semester as well. And today is really all introduction uh, and, and overview. We're going to do our very best to get you ready to kick off your study tomorrow. So uh, you're welcome to begin today. If you'd like, you've got your notebooks now. Um, but, uh, but today is just our goal to, to prepare you, to, to um, get you ready for what lies ahead. Uh, who all is, is brand new? Our brand new folks, uh, never been a part of Men of the Word uh, here at Emmaus before. Yeah, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. So uh, we have a little bit more work to do for you because you're new to the system. So we're going to take some time to explain why we do Men of the Word, how we do it, uh, how the process works. So we'll take some, some time with that. All of our returners in the room, I'm glad you're back. Uh, some of this will be a uh, recap for you. Uh, so, so just bear with us as, as we cover some of that. But, uh, but I also hope a chance to sort of reinvigorate your hearts on, on what it means to study God's Word and, and how important it can be. Um, and so with that, I want to just sort of begin our time with an overview of, of big picture. Why are we doing Men of the Word and, and what are we doing here? What's, what's the goal? Um, what, what are the purposes? Um, we'll do this. We're going to talk through that. And then we'll take some time and, and discuss at our tables uh, some of the truths related to, to those things. And, um, and then we'll dive in sort of at the end into Genesis itself. I'm going to try to provide you with an overview that will help give some context so that as you begin to study this week, you uh, can do it faithfully. So uh, with all that, uh, part one of this morning, why do we do this? What goals are we aiming to accomplish? If you have your notebooks, you can flip to the very first page. Uh, a lot of this is written down there. Uh, you don't have to read it. I'm, I'm going to explain it. But, uh, but we got two goals that we're aiming at, two targets we're trying to achieve. The first one is this. We're seeking to deepen the spiritual maturity of our church. We long to see every single member of this church, every single attender, whether you're a covenant member or not, maybe you just started coming uh, to Emmaus, but we want to see you. This is, this is our goal is all of your pastors, all of your elders, all of your leaders, uh, we want to see you growing vibrantly in the Lord, growing from wherever you are in your faith journey to, to rich maturity that's bearing fruit in the world. Um, you know, and here at Men of the Word, that obviously starts with men. But you'll notice we didn't phrase it, we're seeking to deepen the spiritual maturity of the men of our church, because I want to be really clear, we don't view this environment as just an environment for ministry to men. It is, first and foremost, that. I mean, all of you are men in the room, we want to have ministry to you. But in equal measure, I view this room as a ministry to women. I view this room as a ministry to the kids of Emmaus Church. I view it as a room of ministry for the teenagers of Emmaus Church. This is church-wide discipleship because, again, I said it at the beginning, but I want to emphasize it again. The Bible is so clear on this, where men thrive spiritually, where they lean into spiritual seriousness against sort of the, the malaise of spiritual laziness that exists in our culture today. But you lean into the Lord, you pursue Him strongly, everything begins to change around you. You know, I, I don't know if you're a husband or a father, if God's led you into that season or, or, or not, but, but many of you are, many of you are husbands and fathers. You are called by God to be a leader of your home. And if you're not there yet, you're called by God to be a leader in the church. I mean, God has, has 
endowed upon men headship and, and leadership and, and uh, a calling, an inherent, uh, we're going to see this in Genesis actually, a, a, a dominion handed to Adam that, that extends to, to all of us as well to provide leadership, to go into the chaos of this world and bring order and bring, uh, bring health. And, and that being true, uh, where men step into that, where they push back against the cultural definitions of men, like, oh, men, being a man is watching football and, and sex and beer and, and all the things that you're going to see on TV when you're, when you're watching a game, uh, pushing back against that definition and pushing into Jesus, pushing into uh, growing in the Word, growing in prayer, taking your spirituality seriously. Where that happens, uh, communities flourish. This has always been the case. Uh, and where it doesn't happen, where, where men are abdicating their role and growing passive and complacent and lazy spiritually and just kind of going with the flow and I'll hear a sermon every now and then and that's okay. If that's your perspective on life, things are not going to go well for you. And things are not going to go well around you. This is, this is so vivid in the Bible. Uh, we're going to see examples of this actually right immediately as we study Genesis. Adam is a very bad example of what it means to be a man. Uh, he does not take his role that God gives him uh, seriously. He totally abdicates it. You see that very quickly in Genesis 3. You probably know this story. We're going to study it deeply in just a few weeks. Uh, but he neglects. God's given him the role <clears throat> excuse me, of keeping the garden. Like he's responsible for sort of maintaining and, and expressing dominion over, over the garden. But he fails to keep it, which opens up his wife to an attack by this serpent that sneaks in there. And though she is the one that, that the serpent attacks, though she is the one who sins first, who does God hold responsible for that? Adam. Adam, 100%. When, when God is walking through the garden a little bit later and they're hiding, you'll remember that story, who does God go to? He goes to Adam. And in, in uh, Romans chapter 5, uh, as, as Paul is unpacking the, the theological significance of Genesis, uh, he says it's through one man that sin entered the world. And through one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, that sin was solved. Uh, Jesus is the new Adam, the second Adam. We're going to see so much Christology in the book of Genesis. Get excited about that. But uh, all that to be said, God holds Adam responsible. He abdicated his role to lead his wife. He abdicated his role to protect his wife. And as a result, sin entered the world. The curse falls on her. Their relationship breaks apart. His relationship with work breaks apart. Curse spreads through the whole earth. I mean, he's a bad example of what it looks like to be a godly man who takes their responsibility seriously. And it doesn't end there. Chapter 4, the very next chapter, he has two sons. What are their names? Cain and Abel. You don't even need to, to study Genesis. Well done, guys. Um, but as you probably know, Cain in chapter 4 gets tempted with evil. And, and my question, I mean, God has to talk to him and say, Cain, sin is knocking at the door of your heart. You've got to, you've got to master it or it's going to master you. God has to say those words. My question is, where's Adam? Like, where's his daddy? Where's, where's the guy that God called to be involved in his life spiritually? Adam just totally neglects his role in, in, in spiritual laziness. He fails to seek God seriously, and he, his family just flounders. We're going to watch that in Genesis. But conversely, all throughout the Bible, we see good examples too. Uh, my favorite example is, is Daniel, the young man in the book of Daniel. If you want to go read that, you can, you can do so. We actually studied that at Men of the Word back in 2018, but his story, he was a teen, uh, a teenager who was carried away to Babylon as Israel is conquered by the Babylonians. So he's, he lives in an age when exile is beginning, um, and he's taken to King Nebuchadnezzar's palace. And he is, uh, though he is like a slave, they're actually trying, Babylon is trying to indoctrinate the best of the youth of Israel to turn them into Babylonians. He'll send them back to Israel, 
Israel will become a kingdom of Babylon. This is, this is how they would conquer areas. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar's goal is not to like crush Daniel, it's to indoctrinate him. So he, they, him and a bunch of other young men, they're brought to the palace. They get all the food they want, all the drink they want. They get to live in all the luxuries of King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, palace. And here, imagine who you, who you might be in that circumstance. You're finally away from mom and dad. You're taken to a different place with nobody uh, in charge of you, and you are given as much freedom to do as much as you want to do. And all these luxurious, worldly things are placed before you. I mean, how would you respond? But Daniel, in that moment, I, I want to know who Daniel's dad is, to be honest with you, but Daniel in that moment doesn't step into any of that. He holds fast to his God. He holds fast to the promises of Scripture. He holds fast to the Word and the commands of how he's supposed to eat, how he's supposed to live. And uh, rather than turning to sin, he turns to holiness. He grabs three brothers with him, and together they end up transforming Babylon. Like their faithfulness, this little remnant that, that the Babylonians brought to turn them into Babylonians, they brought these Israelites to change them. These little guys end up transforming Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar ends up worshiping Yahweh as a result of these guys' faithfulness. So that's my point. Like where, where men will step into spiritual seriousness and take their walk with Jesus seriously and do some work and do some obedience, God just bears fruit. And it spreads and it impacts the people around us. So that's what we're after, men. Men of the Word exist to call you from shallow waters to deep waters to call you from wherever you are, if you are not taking your walk with Jesus seriously, to call you into spiritual seriousness that you might begin to grow. And in that growing, as you're planted into the Word, as you're planted into God, in that growing, you'd bear fruit that would fall down and, and, and grow into more fruit in the people's lives around you as well. We want to see your wives grow. We want to see your kids grow. We want to see the people that you serve at Emmaus Church grow. We want to see your coworkers and, and this community change. And we know that happens as, as God uh, transforms our lives. So that's goal number one. We want to deepen spiritual maturity at Emmaus Church. Real quickly before we go to goal number two, uh, just an overview of how we aim to do that. Because that sounds great, Brian, but, but how are you going to pull that off? How are you going to change everything about me into, uh, into some, some man that's very fruitful? You know, big vision, but, but how does that actually work? Well... There's only one thing that can do it, uh, and it's this book right here. We do it by the Word. It's the only way that change will ever come into your life in a serious and lasting way. This book right here. That's why we call this Men of the Word, because this book will shape you if you will give yourself to it. If you want to know how to... If, if there's parts of your heart and your life that you are frustrated with, sins and patterns, the way you speak with people, the way you speak with anger that bubbles up and bursts forth in moments, and you're like, I hate that. I wish it would change. You want to know how it will change? Right here. Digging in, putting down roots, studying this thing, and allowing the transformative power of God's Word to shape you. The Bible promises this. I just want to show you a few spots. I, I mean, I could talk about the power of the Word to change your life all day because this is my whole philosophy for ministry. This is Emmaus Church's philosophy for ministry. This is why we preach through verse by verse by verse by verse through the Bible, why we do inductive Bible study environments. We believe this thing will shape you if you'll just fix your eyes upon it. But let me show you a few uh, as quickly as I can. First one, 2 Timothy 3. Uh, you're probably familiar with this. Paul writing these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's God-breathed. It comes from Him. It's inspired. It's one of the verses that teaches us the doctrine of inspiration of Scripture. But it's, it's, it comes from God for us, and it's profitable. It turns a profit. It brings an investment. You know, you can invest your money in the stock market. You might see a re return. You might see it crash. But when you invest in God's Word, you all, it's profitable, period. Like, 
It, it has a return, and it's profitable for what in your life? For teaching you, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I love that word complete. It's the word artios in the Greek, and what it means is like perfectly formed. It's actually a construction term. Uh, they, they use that word most often in, in building uh, homes. I don't know how they built homes back then, but uh, it'd be like this window right here in the back of the room. Uh, artios would be if if the window uh, frame was exactly five feet by five feet for the window, and the window is exactly five feet by five feet, and it's perfectly fit. That's what artios means. It's like complete. It, there's no gaps. There's nothing missing. It's like a perfect match. So God's Word will do that for you for every good work He's designed for your life. Every good work as a husband, every good work as a father, every good work as a, as a man of God that he has designed for you, guess what's going to shape you into being perfect for it? God's Word. It does it. Every time you give yourself to it, it will change you. Another one, Hebrews 4. Power of God Word on big display here. The Word of God is living and active. Anybody who's, who's read it and really studied it, you know this. It starts cutting you. Uh, it's alive. You can read the same verse you know, 15 times through the years, and suddenly it's cutting you afresh. But it's, it's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's interesting because he's talking about the word of God. And then in the second verse there, 12, he says, no creature is hidden from his sight. It's almost personifying the word of God. And I think it's doing that because we know that the Holy Spirit has indwelled this book so that He speaks to us as we read it. And what does He do when He, when he speaks to us? He cuts us. He identifies those places in our life that are bad, the malignancies, the, the sin, and he, he, we can't hide from it. Like it just is, exp- we, we lay exposed before God's Word, and then He cuts those things out of us, splits us up so that we can heal and grow. God's word will do this to you. You give, you give yourself to it. There's going to be things that you're going to hate that you see. And it's not going to be fun. That, that feeling of being naked and exposed before God and before his word is not... Uh, that, that comfort is the opposite idea. This is uncomfortable uh, is what happens. But, but through it, God shapes us. Another one, Psalm 1. This is maybe one of my favorites. Uh, and it's so intentional that this was placed as the first psalm in the Psalter. There's 150, and he put this first... Uh, the editors that, that compiled them together, they're trying to teach us something significant about the Word and how it works in our life. Blessed is, you're probably familiar. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He's putting roots in the Word. He's, he's digging into God's Word. And that man, it says, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers goes on to, to say a few more beautiful things, but uh, I love that imagery of a tree. I love it because I think it is such a good metaphor for how the Word transforms us. We put down roots into it. We go deep into it. We're meditating on it day and night. We're, we're not letting it depart from our hearts. We're hiding it in our hearts, and then we just sort of, our, our soul draws up nutrition from it. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, God tells us. So, so we're nourished by God's Word, and we end up growing like a tree by water. You know, we're going to thrive. It, 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 doesn't, um, it, it doesn't stop growing because it has everything it needs. And even in the seasons when fruit shouldn't come, uh, when the leaf should be withering, you're still good because you've got roots down, pulling up water where nobody else does. 
That's, that's the vision here. And, uh, and that fruitfulness just spreads to others. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Actually, uh, I had never noticed this before, but Jeremiah must have read the Psalter. Uh, and he quotes this. I've been studying Jeremiah in my quiet times lately. And he quotes that same idea here. And he gives a great contrast. I love this. Last, last little verse I want to show you. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in the uninhabited salt land. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water. Got that from Psalm 1. It sends out its root by the stream. It, it does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I mean, just feel that contrast, man. Do you want to be a shrub in the desert? <laughs> or do you want to be a tree planted by water? You get the point. I'm, I, this, is, this, is, this is obvious, but I want to let it drive deep into your souls because this is, this is the place where the motivation comes tomorrow and uh, today's Wednesday. So tomorrow would be Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday. The only way this change comes is if you wake up early and do it. If you actually give yourself to putting down those roots and studying God's scripture to, to uh, uh, walking in the word. Um, so, that's why we're here. Men of the Word exist to deepen your life and, in effect, deepen other lives as well because uh, as you invest in your heart, as you uh, take your walk seriously and, and get into the Word, you're going to see the change come. Um, so for 10 weeks, we're going to do this together. Uh, my hope is that you don't stop studying God's Word when we're done with these 10 weeks, but that you have a little more equipping in your soul to know how to do it. We're going to hold your hand. We've, we've got a notebook that's going to guide you through day by day by day. I hope when you go into week 11 on your own, that Thanksgiving week. I hope the training wheels don't fall off and you crash. I hope that you're able to, I'm going to go read Psalm. And I'm going to go read Psalm 1. And, and, and you're going to study some other things on your own and continue to draw up nutrition. Uh, this thing only happens 20 weeks out of the year. There's 52 weeks. So you've got to learn how to do this on your own. Hopefully you'll, you'll get that as we go. But, uh, but that's why we're here. So uh, all that being said, second reason we're here, second goal we aim at, uh, we seek to build community among the men of our church. So uh, this one's pretty simple as well. It's our goal to develop true brotherhood among uh, men. Uh, and that's based on a really simple idea. And the idea is this. You need each other. You were not designed to live your life alone spiritually. You were designed for closeness uh, with other believers in your life and specifically with other men in your life. Men who know you deeply who are close enough to you to see your heart and therefore close enough to see your sin. You need that. Do you have anyone in your life that sees the broken parts of your life? You know, modern culture is above, and modern masculinity is above all else independent, right? Like, I won't ask for directions. I'll find my own way there. I will, I will pick myself up by my bootstraps. I mean, we are taught as men from a very young age to do it all alone. But the scriptures give a very different picture uh, that you actually can't do it all alone. You need other men in your life who, who know you and who love you, and therefore, when things get bad, can confront you, can correct you, can rebuke you, not in a way that you know, sends you running, but in a way that brings you back. Um, Galatians talks about like, what a blessing it is when a brother can pull a man back from sin. Um, he's rescued him out of a lifetime of sin. I mean, that's the, that's the, the kind of thing that can happen when we, we have these kind of close friendships. And, and these kind of friendships, these kind of deep relationships, they're rare in our day, so rare that we get a little uncomfortable even thinking about it. Like having a guy that's that close in your life, like you might even think is, 
Is that gay? Is that weird? No, it's not. Like, you should have close brothers who know your heart, who you pour out your heart to. Like, our, our culture is so broken, it can't even see the spiritual beauty of that without going to a very dark place. But God has designed you for close, emotionally intimate relationships with other men. So, lean in. I mean, relationships like that are weapons in our fight for spiritual seriousness. They're weapons against sin. You know, when sin is creeping in, we're all deceived by the, the, the lies that sin offers us. We, we think that that thing's going to be good and, and provide pleasure, provide comfort, and it doesn't. It just destroys us. Brothers can help us be a weapon against that, help us see the devil that we're dancing with, the games that we can play sometimes. They're weapons also for obedience, accountability to actually do what we're hearing from God's Word, and they're weapons for the kingdom. A group of men who are seeking the Lord seriously together, almost nothing can stop them. I mean, the way that God moves through, through not just a man, but through a community of men taking God, God seriously, it's, it's amazing. Um, so, all that to be said, you know, we, we need each other. We're trying to invest in relationships here. So, the way that will work is uh, this morning was a free-for-all. You're just able to sit anywhere you want. Um, but ne- beginning next week, you'll have an assigned table. we got 10 tables in here, so you'll be at table 1 through 10. We'll email you this week with where you'll be. Um, We'll, we'll ask a few of you, if you don't mind, uh, who might be willing to be leaders to sort of uh, play point on keeping up with folks and, and leading the discussion each week. Um, but the goal is for you to uh, get to know those guys that you're paired with and, you know, come early and, and chat and, and go to Waffle House afterwards and, and find ways to invest so that those relationships can grow. They're not going to grow overnight. That kind of closeness uh, doesn't just uh, happen because you want it. It happens because you invest for it. So um, Satan wants you lonely, you know. He would love to have you be isolated and alone. Uh, Jesus wants you knit in, so uh, knit yourselves in, men. Um, those are our goals. The why of, of what we're doing here, two goals. We want to see you grow spiritually, and we want to see you grow in, in brotherhood with other men. And, and prayerfully, we'll see that come as we go. So with that, a few questions I'd love for you to chat about at these tables. Um, number one, what ways have you seen faithful leadership from other men in your life impact your soul? So we're thinking not about the Adams, but the Daniels that you've had in your life. How have you seen them shape you? And then question number two, uh, we probably won't have time for all three of these, so we can just do the first two. Uh, evaluate your current spiritual life. So not where you'd like to be, but where you are. And in what ways are you proud or disappointed with your current habits of studying Scripture? Be honest. Men, um, I just encourage you here. The places in your life where you're most tempted to like not be honest are the places where you most need to be honest. So if you're not reading God's Word at all, just say it. This is a safe place. Jesus died for our sins. We have safety. Um, but let's be honest there so that we can hopefully make changes. So with that, take, take a few minutes, and uh, I'll guide us back together and close out our time in just a few moments. All right, guys. I know you could talk the rest of our time, but um, for the sake of getting us ready for Genesis, we got a few more things we got to cover. So let me do those and, uh, and we'll conclude. If you, if you have your notebooks, go ahead and flip that first page now, if you don't mind. Um, I want to walk you through the game plan, how we, how we operate here. So uh, Men of the Word has three parts to it. First, your daily personal reading. So uh, this is kind of a, a fake day. Really, Men of the Word starts tomorrow or later today when you begin your reading plan. Um, but each week has, has five days of study for you, as well as a sixth wrap-up day um, that will walk you through. You can see our reading plan there walk you through Genesis. This whole week is going to be just Genesis 1-1, so uh, just one verse. Uh, as you go through the study, you're going to be all over the Bible as we begin to uh, sort of get an idea of what it means for God to create the heavens and the earth. But uh, 
but uh, beginning next week, it'll, it'll begin to speed up a little bit more. Um, but daily reading on your own is essential. So uh, as you go through, you're going to see a lot of questions and, and, and places for you to take notes as you go through each day. Come on Wednesday mornings with it all filled out. Have good evidence that you've been doing your work at home. Uh, that's part of what we're doing here is you studying on your own. Uh, then secondly, we come together and we start with discussion groups. So you'll be at your table um, and you'll, you'll uh, talk through. I'll give you some questions to discuss from your reading, from your study. Uh, usually I go after the, the harder questions that are hard to understand or the application questions uh, where you're trying to apply it to your life. But um, uh, you'll talk through those things. It's a good way to bring the word uh, to good fruition in our life is to talk about it with other men, build some accountability over what we're learning. Um, some clarity over the things we're not seeing clearly. Um, and then we conclude uh, with some teaching time. So the last 30 minutes each morning will be uh, myself or some other men from this room uh, leading us in a, a, a teaching a sermon on the text, usually going a little bit deeper than you might go on your own. Uh, and that sort of, uh, through that process, you're going to end up encountering the, the Bible three times, on your own, with a group of men, and then under the, the teaching of someone else. Um, it's just a way to help the Bible go very deep into your heart. Um, so hopefully it'll be a fruitful process for you. There's the commitments we're asking you to make, that you'll actually do the work. You'll, you'll show up and come, and you'll uh, pay attention as we do the teachings to try and uh, grasp as much of Genesis as we can. Um, if you're in, if you're totally in, I mean, you all paid money to be here, uh, which we thank you for. It helps to offset the cost of these notebooks. But um, uh, if you are in those note cards that I, I asked you to grab, write your name on it that, that says officially, I want to be in a group. I'm going to be in it. I want you to put me at a table, Brian. If you are willing to be a leader, if, if you think I could lead a discussion, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be willing to serve in that capacity. Also write that on your card. Um, if you don't mind, please know I always get more than I need. So uh, if I don't choose you, it's nothing personal. It's just a, um, purely a, whoever I think might fit best with the, the people in the room. Um, and then also on your card, if I don't know you, I see a lot of faces who are newer to the church and I just don't know you very well. I assign tables based on stage of life and age. If you don't mind, write your age as well. If you don't know my name, if I don't know your name, uh, if, if we know each other, we're good. I know I probably don't know your exact age. If you feel uncomfortable writing your age, I don't think men care about that. But uh, if you do, you can write like a, a, a close to your age number. You can, you can write your decade if you'd prefer. Uh, but just something so that I can hopefully put you with, you know, if you're 20, you, you may not want to be with the 50-year-olds. The, the but um, you'd grow a whole lot more. Uh, man, a bunch of 20-year-olds together. That's a terrible idea. Um, I was 20 once. You always think you know it all. but uh... Okay, with that, uh, flip in your book forward to page 6, if you don't mind. Um, and I want to show you, uh, I'm not going to read this stuff to you, but I want to show you something that I want to encourage you to read on your own. So um, studying the Bible faithfully uh, involves being careful with it. So perhaps you've studied God's Word before, you've read the Bible on your own, just you and the Bible, and you found it wanting. Uh, it hasn't really worked. You haven't experienced all this transformation that I've been telling you will happen. Um, well, some of that can, can come from the fact that maybe you're not doing it right. Maybe you are sort of shortchanging the process and reading the book in a way that it's not meant to be read. I mean, the Bible at the end of the day is a book. 
I mean, it's 66 different books, but there were authors that had intentions. And just like you learned in high school literature classes, I mean, there's, there's ways to study a text, a, a writing that are faithful to the author to try and glean what they're trying to say. Um, so you want to do that. You want to approach the Bible just like any other book. And this is going to teach you how to do that faithfully. This is the inductive uh, Bible study method that we use here uh, that basically takes Bible study in three parts. So step one, comprehension. You're trying to understand what's actually being said as it's being said from the perspective of the author. You need context. You need. It's going to give you some tips on how to do this. But uh, interpretation, this is where you're drawing out truths. Uh, not necessarily truths for your life, but the truth that is there in the Scripture. What is this, what is this passage teaching us about God? What's it teaching us about men? Um, what's it teaching us about life? You know, the, the truth that the passage is, is clearly bringing up, you want to identify and observe those and interpret those. And then stage three is application. That's when you bring it to your life. So usually the, the mistakes of Bible interpretation come from you read something and you immediately assume it's talking about you and you apply it straight to your life without necessarily you know, going through the process of seeing what truth is there that's timeless and eternal truth, and those are the things that apply to you, uh, not necessarily uh, the things that just might ha- be happening in your life right now. So uh, read that carefully on your own and, and, um, and tap into that. Page 7 and 8, you'll notice a few more tips on uh, some guidelines. Uh, the, main, the main premise I would give to you here is don't run to other resources first. Like trust, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. If you've trusted in Christ, you're indwelt, which means when you read the Bible, which is also, you know, the Holy Spirit wrote and inspired, your, your spirit and the Holy Spirit are interacting with the Word of God, and you're going to glean things on your own. So try to do it yourself first before you run to other uh, resources. But after you've done your own study, it's always good uh, to, to bounce what you're seeing on other things, um, and that can be helpful. Um, you may notice there, uh, this, this study that we're using was authored by Jen Wilkin. Uh, Jen Wilkin is a fantastic uh, Bible teacher and leader out of the Village Church in Dallas, Texas. Uh, some of you may be like, why are we doing a Bible study by a woman? Well, for a few reasons. Number one, uh, find me a better one on Genesis. Uh, there's, there's not. She is a fantastic teacher. Um, second reason, we really wanted you to be synced up for those of you who have wives going through uh, Genesis and the Women's Bible Study. Um, great resource, and we're going to be doing it together. Your, your wives, if you are doing that, are one week ahead of you right now. Uh, but they're skipping a week in like two or three weeks. So um, we're going to catch up and be synced for most of the semester. But, um, but just heads up on that. Um, and don't fret like if that concerns you, like learning from a woman and, and all that. Just, just know this is, not, um, this is not us placing a woman in authority over you. This is, this is uh, us utilizing a good resource that places the Bible in authority on all of us. So um, enjoy this study. It's fantastic. Um, we did have to get permission. So the, the women have this wonderful, the way Jen published this was in this beautiful, very feminine book that's covered with flowers Um, and I thought to myself well it's a great study but I don't know that guys are going to want to open that every morning so um, we had to do some work for you to uh, reach out to Lifeway and get permission I mean we're breaking all sorts of copyright by printing this but we're not we have paid for the rights to do this we've we've, uh, gone through all the legal work and then we did all the work to actually put it onto paper for you so uh, you're welcome Uh, you can thank uh, Jacob Cohen every time you see him because he did all that work in the back also there's this great um, Genesis text also used printed with permission from Crossway this is the ESV double spaced and please please go here as you're studying I mean, it's good to have your Bible on your own, but, but this, when you're doing Genesis, mark this up. We've double-spaced it so you can make notes, you can circle themes. All that stuff is very important as you go. And with that, now I want you to flip to page 11, 
which I put some cardstock in there um, that you can use as kind of your bookmark and flip it around to where you are in the book. Uh, there's one in the back to get you to the Genesis text, but then one at the front where you can just sort of uh, move it through the binder as you proceed through each day. But, um, but there, uh, under week one, there's five questions I want to quickly give you an overview of our text in Genesis so that you know what we're studying. So um, I did not give myself enough time, so we're going to do this very fast. Authorship. Who wrote the book of Genesis? Anybody know? Good answer. It, well, actually, you're all wrong. Technically, it's anonymous. Um, but yes, tradition ascribes Moses as the author of, of Genesis together with the other first five books of the Bible, which we call the Pentateuch or the Torah. Um, so Genesis is not a standalone book. I know we view it that way, but it was written and preserved in this set of five. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's called the Pentateuch, the book of five. There are five different scrolls. That's why there are five different books. But it was never viewed as a as a one part. I mean, all of these are connected and it tells the story of God's people leading up to their time in the promised land. So um, very significant book. I'd honestly love to study the whole Pentateuch. Uh, I don't know how long that would take us though. So we're, we're not committing to that yet. Uh, we're just committing to Genesis for now. But yes, uh, though we're not told specifically in the Pentateuch that Moses is the author, um, the Pentateuch became known to the Israelite people as the book of Moses or the book of the law of Moses. Um, this designation, book of Moses, book of the law of Moses, is preserved in the Old Testament. So when you get to the, the, the books of uh, after the exile, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, you see references to the book of Moses, it's referring to the Pentateuch. Um, so there's some internal biblical affirmation. In the New Testament, we see that as well, including some references from Jesus who affirms that Moses wrote some of this. He doesn't ever say Moses wrote Genesis in full. Uh, that, that line is not preserved for us in Scripture. But he does say things like, Moses wrote of me, or what was that? Was that a fire alarm? Um, <clears throat> So, all that to be said, there seems to be very strong support that Moses wrote this. Um, there has been some more recent modern textual criticism that really debates that. Um, I've studied all that, just so you know. It's very fragile and it's very speculative, and a lot of the modern scholarship contradicts itself. So, um, I think it's much solid, much more solid ground to affirm that Moses wrote it. Ultimately, though, for us, it doesn't really matter because the main thing for us is that the Holy Spirit inspired it for us. Um, so whether Moses wrote it all or he, uh, there were some editors that helped him or compiled things later, uh, ultimately it's God's Word and that's what makes it valuable. Uh, when was it written? Uh, this is what's known as occasion in studying the Bible. When and why was it written? Uh, right down the 15th century B.C. Uh, we date that based on the Exodus, which is internally dated in the Bible as 1445 B.C., approximately. Um, and it's presumed that Moses would have written the Pentateuch uh, during that 40 years of wandering in the desert after the Exodus. So somewhere uh, late 15th century B.C. Uh, is, is when it was written. Um, sort of the why there as well was, you know, again, Moses providing this Pentateuchal understanding of the law, why God created the world, how he established Israel as his people, and what's the purpose of all that. Um, all of that is unfolded very clearly in the Pentateuch. Audience, to whom was it written? Uh, this is written to the Israelites. This is their history. Uh, the history is the people of God. The God of our fathers is a phrase that's repeated throughout the Bible. Here we find out who were their fathers and who is their father's God. So uh, this is our first introduction to God and his nature and his character. So much is developed as we study this. Um, next one there, in what style was it written? What's the genre of this book? Uh, write down theological, historical, narrative. 
So this is history. This book is history for us to glean from. It provides historical overview of the creation of the world and the history of the first uh, two millennia. 2,300 years of human existence is covered in the book of Genesis. Um, we have details that are recorded in a historic nature meant to provide a, a detailed understanding of how history unfolded. Um, but more than history, it's theology, which is why that word theological is there as well. Because in, amidst the history, you're catching a glimpse of who God is. The history is actually told in such a way to teach us about God, to teach us about His nature. Uh, it's not just history for history's sake. It's history uh, meant to teach theology. So um, it is historical narrative, uh, but it's bigger than that as well. There's a great, uh, great quote from one of the books that I'm using as a resource in my studies. Um, he said... Uh, Genesis is less interested in recording events for the sake of history than in using those events as vehicles for communicating the truths about biblical faith. Um, so it's history, but it's more than that. Um, and then the themes. This is a big part of Men of the Word and what we study. These are things I want you to be looking for as you study each week. Uh, the major themes of this book uh, that appear as you study the whole thing. These are going to carry us through to the spring as well. These aren't just themes for uh, chapters 1 through 11, part 1. But uh, these are the big themes of the whole book. Number one, blessing. Blessing. This is arguably the central theme of Genesis, showcasing the active word of work of God to bless and enrich and bestow prosperity upon his creation. So he is, he is a blessing God. He intervenes towards his people with blessing. Um, he blesses creation. He blesses man in the garden. He blesses them with dominion over the earth. He blesses the patriarchs. He gives them children. He gives them land. He promises uh, this whole land of Canaan to them. I mean, a lot of blessing playing out here. Uh, mixed up in blessing, this is the same theme, but I also want to add the word next to it, cursing. So connected with it is the antithesis of blessing, which is cursing, um, which shows up as mankind's sin and, and fail. His, his favor comes forth in blessing, and his uh, anti-favor, his disappointment, his displeasure comes forward in that cursing. Uh, theme number two, sin and judgment. Uh, big theme, sin entering the world. God created a perfect world. And then sin entered and destroyed it all. And with that comes judgment. That's the cursing theme as well. But, but just write down sin and judgment. Be looking for that. Number three, third big theme, grace. Grace or redemption. Amidst the brokenness of sin and all the spreading evil, God acts to provide mercy in the midst of the darkness. There's definitely judgment, but there's mercy. And then the fourth one, this is the last one, covenant. Covenant. The narratives of Genesis. Also write their promise. Um, the narratives of Genesis teach us of a covenant faith based upon a covenant God who makes promises and keeps them with his people. So you're going to see that again and again, the promises of God coming forth. They reveal his nature, reveal his character. He's a covenant maker. So with all that, we're done. Um, let me pray and then you guys can be dismissed. It is 7 o'clock in 30 seconds. We did it well. God, we love you. I'm grateful for the study and what lies ahead for us in this book of Genesis. Would you guide these men as they dive into your word? Would you fill them with your spirit and let them glean amazing truths? And God, through it all, would we grow? Would we be changed? Would you shape us? Sanctify us of sin? Grow us in righteousness? Help us to bear fruit that glorifies your name uh, in our lives and in the lives of others. We, we love you, Jesus. Uh, lead us on. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. We'll see you next week. If you got any questions, come and see me.